Welcome, everybody. Another great show coming up on the Hollywood Godfather podcast. And my partner in crime, well, not crime, he's legitimate. My partner, <laughs> my partner is the writer of, the, of this famous book that we keep t- talking about and named our show after. And maybe if I had another kid, it maybe named my, him or her Hollywood Godfather. <laughs> Godfather. Why not? I'll tell you, it'd be easy to remember, right? Pat Piccarelli, my man. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to talk about, well, let's talk about a uh, an urban myth, so to speak, that the mafia never kills cops. Well, that's uh, that's been ongoing. And newspaper people, remember? And they, newspaper people, they the journalists. Never killed uh, newspaper people or cops. Well, uh, Al Capone disproved that when he shot uh, Jake Lingle, who was a uh, uh, the the ace crime reporter for the uh, Chicago Sun Times, had him killed in a train station. Right. Uh, so that that blew that. Of course, there's exceptions to every exception, but uh, if you were to ask any mob aficionado, when was the last time you heard of uh, the American Mafia killing a cop that wasn't involved in organized crime with them? Right. Uh, there's a few of those around, and uh, you, you you get a lot of head scratches, basically. But there's something that happened in fairly recent history. It's probably 1987. It wasn't that long ago, 35 years ago, that a New York City police detective by the name of uh, Anthony Venditti and uh, his partner, a detective also, Kathleen Burke, was shot. Uh, in an incident where uh, Venditti was killed in the line of duty and uh, uh, Kathleen Burke was uh, seriously wounded. Uh, a lot of people don't even know this happened and it wasn't that long ago. So let me let me set the stage here. Uh, it was January 21st, 1987. And uh, it was in the evening. January is in New York are rather chilly. Not too many people on the street. Uh, Anthony uh, Venditti and his partner were staked out in front of the uh, Castillo restaurant on Myrtle Avenue, which is on the Brooklyn-Queens border. They were on the Queens side, in uh, Ridgewood, Queens. Uh, Genovese territory. Yeah. Uh, And they were part of a joint task force uh, investigating uh, organized crime. This was the uh, Genovese family, I believe. And uh, I'll tell you how it it wound up, because you already know that they were shot, but... uh, Venditti got shot four times, twice in the head. His partner was uh, uh, shot several times and left sprawled on a sidewalk, a, a bullet. But let's clarify also, Venditti got shot in the face at close range. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this wasn't was, a, a shootout in the streets. This was a, Well, it started that way. Yeah. But it ended with him getting uh, executed just to make sure. Uh, Kathleen Burke uh, was his partner. That wasn't his regular partner, but uh, she was filling in. She got shot in the left part of the chest, broke a couple of ribs, puncturing her lungs, went into her scapula, broke that, uh, exited her body. So she was hurt, hurt pretty bad. She managed to get up. There was, there was, they didn't have radios. Back, you know, back then, radios were, that worked were at a premium. So she managed to, to get up and stagger into a pizza joint uh, close by. She dialed uh, 911 before going back to the body of her 
partner. Okay. Which was pretty incredible. Yeah, and she took a lot of heat, which we'll get to uh, at the end. And uh, and uh, it wasn't very fair. And we'll get to some of the reasons that I think that she got lambasted by the by the NYPD. But anyway, three suspects were uh, allegedly involved in the shootings. One was uh, uh, Federico Giovanelli, who was known as uh, Funzi, I believe. He was caught soon thereafter. And the other two, Carmine uh, Coltieri and Steve uh, Maltese, were captured within two days. Uh, the three worked out of a building known as the Bushwick Democratic Club. All these, all these crews have their own hangouts. Uh, they were heavily involved in loan sharking, illegal gambling, bookmaking across Brooklyn and Queens. Just like I said, that was right on the border. So they had both territories. Uh, there were witnesses to this. Uh, not only the, the, the two shot up cops, the one that, that kept away, but one that lived was obviously an eyewitness. A guy named uh, Frank Simone, who uh, flagged down a responding patrol car, which chased after and apprehended Giovanelli. That's when he was caught a few uh, blocks from the crime scene. And at least four other people witnessed this. And there were trials. And we'll also we'll also get to that. And I say, this is kind of cut and dry here. I mean, you got, you got five witnesses at least, eyewitnesses, that all agree to, to the story that these cops were shot by these three guys. This is this is a hanger. They'll go to trial, and uh, there there shouldn't be a, probably got a cop dead on the street and one hero cop uh, who went back to her partner seriously wounded. Uh, they're under lock and key, uh, no bail within forty eight hours. The, de- the detectives that investigated it tracked down a witness that was uh, Steve uh, uh, Frank Simone within a few days of the shooting. Uh, one of the guys uh, confesses to having collected. Oh, the, the witness confessed to have collected the guns that did the killing, wiped them down, and threw them in a sewer. This is a witness. Four trials later, no one has ever been convicted of this crime of killing Anthony Venditti or shooting his partner. But let's talk about this. A guy, the, the innocent bystander who witnessed this, yeah, picks up three guns. Wipes yeah. them down and discards them. That's un- that yeah. starts the hole in the story. <laughs> well, that's that that starts. You know, eyewitness testimony. This is something you learn in like criminal investigations one on one. The worst kind of evidence is eyewitness testimony. You can you can ask somebody what they saw on Tuesday and Wednesday. They change their story, not intentionally, because anything that you see or learn. 70% of what you learn, and this I, I, I learned this as a teacher, 70% of what you teach somebody verbally and what they see on a screen via slides or whatever, 70% is forgotten the following day. So this is the same thing that goes for eyewitness testimony. And in fact, Detective Burke changed her story several times. There were four trials here. And she changed her, her story. And that was the a span of how many years? I think four. I'll look at to that. Yeah, it was like four, six years. Yeah, uh, but the, the point is, people are saying, "Well, how come she changed the story?" Because the mind plays tricks. In fact, if I'm with, uh, if I'm going to interview a a witness to a crime, and they tell me the exact same thing over and over again, I'm suspicious. Because it's, it's a Yeah. You know, the the the, the mind has a way of 
uh, uh, acclimating to the uh, to the crime, to, to the scene, what they saw. This woman went through hell. And, you know, you, you, you forget things, you remember other things. But if you're dealing with good defense counsel, and uh, there was one defense counsel, uh, one lawyer that defended uh, uh, Giovanelli, he's got guy's name was Hockheiser. I was probably no longer with us, but a very, very good criminal defense attorney. Four trials later, no one's in prison. And what seemed like a straightforward indictment against the execution of, uh, of cops uh, in the months and years that followed, uh, one of the most complex, lurid, and, and convoluted examples of justice denied. Uh, the, everybody screwed up on various levels, and people relied too much on eyewitness testimony. And this guy throwing the guns in the sewer certainly didn't help. What eyewitness testimony is is circumstantial evidence. Real evidence is something you can put your hands on. Fingerprints, guns, knives, right. whatever. There was none of that. My name, uh, you you being, having the expertise and of the years you've been in that. And I, I'm, I'm just, I heard about this just because you gave me the opportunity and we're going to talk about it. I just, as a layman, think there's so many holes in to begin with, even with Burke. I mean, she wasn't his normal partner, as I understood it. She was right. there. They, they had an unmarked car, if my memory serves me right, a two-tone Lincoln town car. <laughs> Who the hell is driving an unmarked car, two-tone well, Lincoln you, car, town car? You don't. You don't want to drive, you know, a a a Ford, a black Ford Fairlane. You want to. No, I understand about a two tone car was just going to stand out. That's true. Beige and brown. I mean, I mean, I'm reading this and dissecting it like you do now because I'm 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 learning and writing and doing things with you. Yeah. So I I want to I want to try to figure out where we're going through the story when I started well, reading it. Where did this? Where did this all go down a toilet? Okay, Her, uh, Kathleen Burke's story was only partly corroborated by other witnesses, uh, and the, the four witnesses that that we already spoke of. And this is part and partial of normal witness testimony. No one's going to agree totally. If you have a good defense counsel, say, "Well, she said this. She was there. How come you're saying this?" And you put what you what you want to put in a reasonable in doubt. Reasonable doubt. And the very least you want is a hung jury. Of course. You know, so uh, anyway, the, the first two trials ended in hung juries and an acquittal of one defendant. Then all three were convicted on federal racketeering charges that had to do with the murder. Finally, in the third state trial, two of the remaining defendants were acquitted of the murder and attempted murder charges. In 1994, the case was officially closed. So we're talking about a, a span of seven years here. Right. Kathleen Burke, and here's, here's where we get to uh, retribution by, you know, by the mob, because people did testify here. Kathleen Burke, uh, in, in the years that followed the shooting, would offer testimony at trial that was, uh, according to the reporters and the people who were in the trial, that was so unconvincing that she was demolished on the witness stand. This doesn't detract from the fact of what she did, who she was, and the job she did that night. The trauma of being involved in something like that and having to talk about it over and over and over again. It, I mean, it, it's fortunately, it's never happened to me, but I've been in similar situations, not in the police department. I have my share of scuffles there. 
But when I was in, in Vietnam, I mean, to this day, uh, I, I can't watch uh, violent things. It's, I just can't do it. it. Has nothing to not war movies, any kind of any kind of violence. It's just it upsets me. You well, know, I was you know what I took away from her? She had a, 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 another agenda because in the, uh, the, 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 old, the old boys blue club, they didn't want women in detectives. Right. They didn't want women on the job. Right. So I'm of- saying, and, and that time, well, I, again, it's only me reading the facts and trying to figure it out. I think that's what screwed her up. That didn't help. Because she, it- she, she was holding this vendetta. And as, as you pointed out, she should have been a decorated police officer the next week, saving well, the partner, crawling to a pizza place, making a 911 call. I mean, this is the hero. Back. Yeah, well, I tell you, you gotta, you, you got to understand a little history here. This happened in 1987. In 1986, or maybe late 85, women who had been in the NYPD for many, many years, but they were part of the, the police women's bureau. It was like a separate job. They were never on the street. They held uh, clerical positions. They were known as matrons. If they had to, if you had a, a, a female prisoner, you called on a, 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 a police woman. They were not called police officers. Like they are, Everybody's a police officer now. It's, 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 it's a non-sexist rank. But you called on a police woman to search the female prisoner. That's all they did. And uh, after m- many, many that could have been a gross job. <laughs> uh, well, you know they got yeah body cavity searches. You can't search a woman. Hello, you can search again. And, and trust me, a lot of these women you don't want to search. Uh, you even given the opportunity. That's what that I'm said, saying. Yeah. That said, they won their court case, and in 1986, about I'm a little bit fuzzy on the date. Uh, women, for the first time in the NYPD history, which has been around since the late 1840s, were allowed to be on equal footing as cops. They were on patrol. They did everything that, that uh, male cops did. They were looking for police officers, male police officers, to train them. And I was on patrol at the time. Uh, in fact, this might, might have been a little earlier than 80, 86. Could have been in the in, in the early 80s, whatever it was. I, uh, nobody wanted to do it. I volunteered to do it. I figured this is a good thing. Because one thing I, 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 I discovered through life, not having anything to do with police work, men and women looking at the same situation that could blow up into some kind of violence, women have a better chance of winding it down than men do. And I've seen it over and over and over again. And I figured this has to be a good thing. And on the job, when they came on the street, I saw it in action with men confronting men on the street. It's like a testosterone measuring contest. To put it mildly, is something I can't say what I feel, uh, you know, we're on, we're talking, who knows who we're talking to, who our audience is. But it was, you know, chest bumping. A woman partner comes in there and can diffuse the situation just from the fact that she's a female and could talk people down better than men could. And I've seen it over and over and over again. So I decided I was going to volunteer and uh, work with, with female cops. And I did it for about six months. So I thought they were a welcome addition to the job. But most People didn't. Most cops didn't. And this is the atmosphere that Kathleen Burke enters. Okay, uh, they were they were allowed to be on patrol and fight crime, so to speak, for just a few years. I think the early eighties. Now I could have got my dates wrong. So now 
anything that she did that's perceived as the slightest bit wrong or uh, a man wouldn't do that. I mean, you got to be in a situation and decide in a split second how you're going to conduct yourself. And people are Monday morning quarterbacking the sport detective. And that's what was one of the reasons. So she goes on the stand and uh, she was unconvincing. That was the word that was used. Uh, and was demolished. She was demolished on the witness stand. Frank Simone, the state's chief independent witness, what we call him is the guy who got rid of the guns. Right. Uh, testified for the prosecution during the first trial. He's a witness. He recanted after having his legs broken. Hello. <laughs> Must have been in a car accident. They didn't yeah. say how that happened. The car was in, being driven by Giganti. The car was driven by Giganti. <laughs> <laughs> the second trial, he switches sides and testifies for the defense. By the third trial, he was dead. They killed him. Yep. So he never testified. Uh, 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 no, he testified the second and the third trial for the defense. By the fourth trial, maybe they thought he was going to flip backwards again, and they uh, they killed him. Uh, the, I mean, the there's so many. There's so many tentacles on this story, and so many. Blame, so many, and even the Gambino family indirectly was connected. Every there was like three major families as this went well, on. We're going to get to a. Uh, a reasonable defense, not a legal defense, but a reasonable defense as to why the shooting occurred. Because we go back to the uh, the, the uh, mafia rule, you don't kill cops because it brings heat. So why did they, they shoot it out with these cops? It's I'm going to tell you why, and you know already, I think. Just by the facts you gave me, they didn't think they were cops. Yeah, well, let's 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 hold, hold off on that until, until we reach it. We're at the point now, though, they're losing these trials because Kathleen Burke was made to look like a bad person, and she carries it with her today. I know uh, a good friend of mine, uh, a, a female cop, uh, first name is Helen. I won't give her last name. She's very good friends with with uh, with Kathleen. So Kathleen uh, is still alive? Yeah. She retired a, a first grader, and she's uh, uh, a first grade she's detective. Yeah, first grade detective, which is the highest rank of detective. No, I'm saying you said first grade. Our audience may think she went no, back no. to school. <laughs> in, in, in police policy, a first grader is a first grade detective, which is uh, equivalent in a pay grade to that of a lieutenant. There's not many first grade detectives on the NYPD. You have to know what you're doing. So uh, the finger pointing goes beyond the actions of what they thought Detective did, uh, Detective Burke did or didn't do. Family members of Vendetti and and, uh, and uh, police officers on the job at the time filed complaints with the uh, police officials at the competence of the investigation and questioned whether police corruption or other investigations of mafia figures might have compromised the inquiry. You got to understand that these were the days where you didn't know the good guys and the bad guys. And I'm talking about the NYPD. Right. Uh, there was problems. Uh uh, you know, every 20 years in the NYPD, and it's almost like clockwork, there's a special commission set up to investigate police corruption. Literally, every 20 years, you can you can set your calendar by it. And this was one of the times that they had a, a, a commission looking into corruption. I forget what the name of it was. Detective Burke raised similar concerns. Why isn't this thing being actively prosecuted? A police officer is dead. Right? So one of the 
uh, intriguing aspects of this. Uh, during one of the trials, a, uh, a uh, mobster approached an NYPD detective, an active detective who was related by marriage to him, to the, to the mobster, to check on a plate number of Venditti's undercover car some weeks before the killing. Okay, so uh, no one in the team investigating the, the shooting seemed to be interested in this. It was never brought into the case at all. And why? It makes the NYPD look bad. So no one ever said, okay, somebody was supposed to, they approached an active detective to run the plate to see who these guys were that were following them. Now the, now the cop winds up dead. Never brought into the trial. Never. If they would have brought this in, that somebody had had tried to gain access to who, who, who this is in this car. Now, this detective said that he didn't do it. He was approached, but he didn't do it. But there, there weren't any computers back then. You, you search through everything with your fingers, paper. So there's no, there's no trail. Uh, that, was never, that was never brought in. So Kathleen Burke has a legitimate question was, Maybe there was some there was some corrupt, uh, corruption involved here, but at the expense of a dead detective. I mean, I, I just I just uh, you know they're investigating the murder of one of their own, and they just let this slip by. Why didn't they bring it in? No That's what I'm knows. saying. I mean, to me, I mean, I just heard about this in the last forty eight hours, and it, there's so many holes in it that it seems like there's some kind of corruption within Kathy even. I don't it, know. No, 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 no. Somewhere, this was done after the fact. Someone wanted to run their plate. Uh, they approached an active New York City detective to run the plate before the shootings ever happened. He said he never did it. Somebody else did. Possible. The point is you bring it up at trial indicating that these guys who did the shooting knew who they were. Never brought up. So there's two possibilities that, that I see. Somebody, there's some corruption involved here somewhere. I'm not saying money exchange hands, but somebody, but it could be, but somebody owed a favor to somebody else. It was just never done. But that's so egregious that a dead detective, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And it was never brought up in any, any of the trials. And, or the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the catch-all phrase, never embarrass the NYPD. And for that to come out would have been a tremendous embarrassment, possibly leading to the death and the shooting of two detectives. But wasn't the car when they found out whose car it was? Because Nobody knows if they knew whose car it was. Here's the thing. Uh, one, of, one of the suspects, uh, uh, Giovanelli, called him uh, uh, Fritzy. Uh, They were having problems. Uh, Vincent Giganti was the head of the uh, uh, of the family back then. Right. Worked out, worked out of a social club on Sullivan Street. That's why I brought his name up. <laughs> they were having problems. I'm trying to find this in my notes. They were having problems with another crew in, in, uh, in an, another family. See, that's why I think... Tracing that car, they thought it was another family. They weren't killing cops. They were killing somebody that was trying to set them up. Okay, and then was looking at this. Uh, 
Well, this, this, this I, I keep bringing up this detective. He just said he wasn't interested in uh, in in, uh, in uh, looking into the plate. Uh, okay, no, well, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate. If if yeah. I'm if I'm another family in this car where I keep seeing it, which they said they saw three times already under yeah. surveillance, not knowing they were cops, they thought that was that family that's trying to infiltrate Giganti. Okay, what they thought was that uh, a, a group that they believed uh, uh, that uh, he testified, this is a, a guy named Anthony uh, Martinelli testified, he was somebody's brother. He said he believed that uh, they were under threat of a robbery by a rival faction perceived to be members of the Gambino family. See what I'm so saying? Their excuse is that they thought they were being under, uh, being surveilled by members of the Gambino family. Right. So, so could this be a lack of communication? But before the show started, Gianni and I were talking about the following. I don't know many members of the Gambino family who are about five foot two with less than a hundred pounds and are blonde females. But I'm going to tell you where that work or how that works. A lot of guys take they're sitting on somebody. And they'll take their girlfriend with them and have the girl sitting next to them so you think it's lovers. It throws you off. I did she it myself. Out, she was out of the car going into, when she heard the shot, she was out of the car going into the Well, that's scene. after the fact. Well, after the first, after her partner got shot. I'm saying, but yeah. if, you, if, I have a, if I go into a diner and leave my girlfriend in the car for a minute, that doesn't make it look like it's two cops. You think I left my girlfriend in the car. And she gets out of the car and comes in, so she's the girlfriend, so they shoot her anyway? No. Yeah. Who does it mean? They shot the guy, and they shot her and got rid of the wife. That happened, uh, I'll tell you, it happened behind the Americana Hotel. A a wise guy got shot, and the girl was just collateral damage. That's how. And I'll go along with it. No, I'm just saying, no, it's it's too close to too many things that happen like this that I'm aware of. And well, you remember thought, this happened right outside LaGuardia Airport. Well, look, I understand that. They thought if, 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 if I, I, I would tend to think that it was a legitimate, that because why in the, they were being threatened by a rival mob faction. Why would they shoot a cop if they knew it was a cop? They're That's gamblers. what I'm saying. They're gamblers. They're not wanted for murder. Well, this is why I'm saying I think they thought that it was another family, and they just stopped it, and then they had the right to. Because if, okay. if the Gambinos were going into their territory to hold up their guys. Okay. So, let me ask you this. Now there's a shooting. They kill one cop and they wound another. Why weren't they convicted of manslaughter? It wasn't an intentional killing. They thought it, they didn't get freed because it was, uh, it was justified self-defense. They just stopped prosecuting them after four trials. They just stopped. Well, I think there was that, no. I think it was a coincidence that that police department, there was corruption there, and they were going to open a can of worms. What I tell you, man, at the shooting of a cop, you know, I can, I can, I, I witnessed corruption firsthand for many years. But I mean, a, a cop is dead. All hands on deck. I don't care who it is. Uh, you know, I mean, and the the attorneys didn't bring it up as a verifiable defensive uh, of uh, self-defense. They didn't do it. It just went away. So what's your theory on it? Why'd it go away? There was, 
Well, you try somebody four times. After a while, you just got to stop because you're going to present the same evidence over and over again, unless you're going to come up with a new theory. You can't keep throwing back the same evidence at every single trial that ends in a hung jury. No, but so I'm saying if to- I'm the defense and I'm defending a decorated detective who's got been killed, don't you think they would put more push into the thing and, re- and restructure the tr- next trial I, differently? It, it could have reached a point where they, if you're going to try them a fifth time, you got to have new evidence. Now, if you go to the defense side of it, you can say, well, why didn't the defense uh, uh, counsel say they, they were defending themselves? They, they thought that they were about to get killed. Guy comes through the door with, with a with, with a gun. I, you know, we don't know whether the Venditti identified himself or not. It was never established. Middle of the night, no one close by, cold, right. no one out. So they had eyewitnesses, but not earwitnesses. He never even brought it up. He just figured they will not have, they keep having these trials with the same evidence, with the same results. Why even bring it up? Because if you bring it up, now you've got the defense counsel admitting that they shot these guys and they're not admitting anything. Not guilty. And after four trials, they won. They never tried them again. So I, I could, this guy, Hockhauser, uh, Hockheiser, he, he, he took a chance and he figured, well, look, you, you, you kill the cop and you, sh- and you shot another one. Take, uh, you know, take, 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 you know, take the man's slaughter rap to be out in five years. He saw, and wisely so, that after all these trials exhibiting the same evidence, we're not even going to say that. You just didn't do it. So did they do, do we know that they tried to do a plea bargain with them? No, no plea bargaining. They just stopped doing it. Now, neither was wearing their bulletproof vest. Uh, Kathy had taken hers off. And the other guys, to... his kids colored on them. Yeah, his kids painted I mean, on it. I got a smile. If I read something, I lock it in. His kids painted. I mean, what a yeah. stupid excuse. Well, it's not and, and It's not really the vest that they painted. The, the vest goes in like a, a sheath that you put over you because once a vest gets uh, soaked with sweat over a short period of time, the vest becomes ineffective. So you put it in a sheet. So what that kid did was paint over the, the, the holder of the vest, and he still didn't wear it. Now, in the summer, and I'll, I'll go along with this, wearing those vests were brutal. Oh, yeah, they were too no, hot. There were, were very, very few cars air-conditioned back then, and the bosses got them for the most part. And you were in a car when it was 95 degrees and the humidity, who knows what the hell it was, wearing this vest under your shirt. You're dying. But this was January. Kathleen Burke took her vest off because she thought it was the end of the shift, and it was. And she just took it off, and she was going to go home, and then that's that's when everything, you know, basically hits the fan. Such a wild story. Yeah. Uh, now, and they talk about the restaurant having two entrances. Uh, Burke approaches the one entrance while uh, uh, Venditti was at the other entrance. Uh, I, you know, your people died here, but you, you, know, you, you got to come dying, but she suffered a lot. Uh, now, when, 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 because all these years, they're, they're, they're still on a case. Police have uh, uh, memories like elephants. Now, Venditti, to, you know, I want to talk about ill of the dead, but he carried his gun in, in an ankle holster and he didn't have time to reach it. Yeah, hello. So uh, this is where uh, uh, 
uh, he was grabbed by the arms. He didn't have time to go for his gun. And it basically executed. And like you said, you know, before the show started, we were talking about it. Then he's on the ground and they shot him in the head. Right. So C- Kathleen comes in, bursts through the other door. And I'm sure she identified herself, but there was nobody there to uh, verify that. And they, they shot her up, too. But even identified herself, they would have shot her. They would have killed a cop. <sighs> Once again, we don't know if they knew they killed a cop. Would you kill a cop? You know, to... Would you actually kill a cop, put him on the ground, and then execute him? That's why I think uh, my theory is that they thought it was a rival family trying to rob him. Yeah, it's it's perfectly you know reasonable to think that way. But then you get this other woman coming in waving a gun. What do you think? You know, there's something called in a in a, in a shooting, and I've been in a lot of them. Uh, it's called a mad minute, where you don't realize you react. What the hell... You don't think. It's just what everybody else is doing. You know, you fire a shot or somebody else fires a shot, then everybody fires a shot. There was a, a, there was a famous case in the Bronx, Amado Diallo. Do you recall that name? No. Okay. And uh, it was in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, late 80s, I believe. I was already off the job, I think. Uh, they were, uh, the anti-crime unit was looking for a serial rapist that was operating a certain uh, area of the Bronx. And this guy, this black man, fit the description perfectly uh so they follow and the way the guy operated the rapist operated he would go into a building and try doors and make his way into uh, an apartment and uh rape the uh, the occupant and then leave so they follow him into the building there was a few cops i think there were four cops and when you go into the building the it was a, a, a typical south bronx lobby uh the lights didn't work it was very dim there uh this is when the south bronx was really bad not that it's good now but it was even worse then and this was a guy named Amado Diallo, uh, law-abiding citizen, never been troubled, never even got a traffic ticket. He's at the elevator, and the cops are coming in now. You, you come into the building, and as you know, in some of these old buildings, and you've probably seen them, Johnny, there were like three steps up until you get to the level where the elevator is, and you got to right, walk right, up the right. elevator. Yep, yep, well, yep. These cops are at the, that stairway, which provides some cover, should th- this guy be the rapist, and he turns around and starts shooting. So they're yelling and screaming. Police don't move. This is what you're trained to do. Don't move. Freeze. Diallo turns around. And he had something in his hand, but nobody shot. One guy took a step. One police officer took a step, missed a step, had his hand on the trigger and fired a shot. The other police officers thought that Diallo fired the shot. And he had something in his hand that was his wallet. It was black. It was dim in there. And they thought it was a gun. They heard a shot. They shot him 19 times. Wow. Killed him. It was one of those things. I mean, you hate to say it. A guy lost his life. But, I mean, there was an uproar in the city. An unarmed guy. You shoot him all these times. And why did they shoot him 19 times? Because he wouldn't go down. And you're taught in the police academy that you shoot to get rid of the threat. One of the ways that the threat is reduced is the guy hits the ground. He's, He's not a threat anymore. The bullets were keeping him up. And when they, they, they stopped shooting, he hit the ground and he was dead. And wisely, on the police officer's part and, and their lawyers, they didn't choose a jury trial. They chose a bench trial with a, with, a, with a judge passing judgment because the judge knew the law. Did they act reasonably? Yes, they acted reasonably. And that shot was an accidental shot. And we get, we get back to the mad minute thing, which these Italians, these mobsters, uh, might have got involved in. Shooting starts. It's very difficult to stop shooting once you start. Your brain takes over, and 
when you're in, in a shootout, you get tunnel vision. Your heart rate can increase to 180 beats a minute. And you act, your hearing actually goes. You don't hear anything. And you see what you're shooting at sometimes, like you're looking through the wrong end of a pair of binoculars. Your whole physiology changes. And you just keep on pulling that trigger. So this is what may have happened with these, with these wise guys. Eventually, it all went away. Uh, I'll tell you what happened to these guys. Uh, which which story now? The one that uh, the uh, the Bart Benditti uh, stories. Well, they all died of natural causes, didn't they? Okay, his 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 something that was cute. Uh, Fritzy, oh, was it? Oh, and there was uh, Gualtieri. He was a, a short. The tubby guy, bald-headed, he was one of the shooters or at, at the scene. He was a habitual gum chewer, they said, harmless guy. Anyway, he, he claimed he was not present at the scene of the shooting and therefore had no knowledge of the events. He maintained, with numerous witnesses to support his statement, that he was home that night watching The Muppets on TV. <laughs> the Muppets. <laughs> numerous, <laughs> numerous witnesses. I can't. So, this, this story is so wild. Nah, you know all these guys are going to have, you know, uh, uh, alibi uh, people that are going to support their alibis. That's so funny. That was, everybody said, yep, he was home sitting in front of the TV watching the Muppets. wasn't even there. Amazing, amazing. But Anyway, so Burke, Burke later claims that she was the target of a whispering campaign in the NYPD that vilified her courage and conduct in a gunfight simply because she was a woman. And, you know, I tend to agree. You think so? I was on that job. I saw the, the, the hell some of these women went through. And it's still going on today, from what I hear from uh, my, my cop acquaintances. Not nearly as bad as it was then. Then it was brutal. Uh, she also stated that there was a lot of sloppy detective work that turned this case into a paper nightmare. And that's a quote. She retired from the force in 1981 as a detective first grade. Uh, and she, <laughs> you know what she claims? This is a quote, too. Thank God I was shot. And, th and th thank I got uh, that I got shot in front of my body because it proved I was not running away. Yeah, no, yeah, because then she would have had a coward turned on to besides running away from him. Now, Venditti's family uh, said, however, that they believed uh, had she been a, a better partner, she might have prevented his death. And her inconsistent testimony helped significantly to undermine the case of the prosecution. I, I take uh, umbrance with the word significantly. Everybody's testimony changes over the course of seven years, four trials. It's going to change. She writes a book. Who hasn't written a book? All right. She, she published her autobiography, uh, aptly named Detective. I wonder who would have thought of that title. What's the name? The name of the book was Detective. Detective. Title of the book. That's it. She, that's it. She published it in, two, uh, in 2006, telling her side of the story. Uh, toward the end of the book, she contends that the mafia had infiltrated, undermined, and corrupted the criminal justice system, compromising the police investigation, sabotaging the prosecution, and influencing or intimidating either the witnesses or the jurors in three out of the four trials. Uh, Benditti was given the uh, Medal of Honor posthumously, uh, and the, the wise guys, uh, Gautieri, Giovanelli, and uh, Maltese are dead. Uh, Giovanelli being the last one to die in 2018 at the age of 86. Wow. And that was the only, well, that's I mean, unsolved. That, it's unsolved. 
That's they did time. Uh, I, I didn't want to, you know, talk about what, what other time they did. But after that, they, they did time for their, you know, other crimes, mostly involving gambling, extortion. Right. These guys, you know, you always have to go back to. They're not killers. They know they're being investigated for gambling. That's they know that. Right. There's no way that they would know they were shooting the cop. I think to this day, but the, the in, in addition to the actual victim here, the secondary victim, aside from the fact that she was shot, was Kathleen Burke. I think she got a raw deal, a very raw deal. And I know somebody who knows her to this day, who I speak to all the time. Uh, she said she's still suffering for it. She's well, I can still, imagine. She's still feeling the effects, not only of losing the Well, you the walk heart, in the streets and you, you, know, you can't hold your head up high. She has no reason not to. I but know what, she what, doesn't, but, I mean, she's got that, that stigma of being... Well, she's, she, she's contending, and, and I agree, that she was treated unfairly, that she wasn't heroic, that she didn't do her job. She did a job. She's got bullets in her to prove it. She yeah. wasn't shot in the back, as she said. I wasn't running away. I was running toward the shooting. Right. You know, and uh, there's, there's a, a, a group that cops formed in the 80s. It's, it's, it's called a self-help group for cops that uh, have PTSD and, uh, uh, or injuries, uh, inj- injured on the job, and they meet every so often. And this police officer that I know, uh, Helen, I know her very well. Uh, she and Kathy are good friends, and they're officers in this organization. And it's been going on for now 30-something years. Uh, and uh, Kathy uh, obviously got you know healed from her, 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 her wounds, got married, raised a family, but she still feel she got a raw deal and they should not have concentrated on her they should concentrate on the guys who pulled the trigger who shot them and go with that but they didn't do it and it's just you know you and i are discussing this and i like to say i have an answer i'm sure you would too i have no answer yeah. i can't even you know it could be this because corruption and and or, or then again it could be that and we got witnesses this this guy simone who changed his his mind. He testifies for the prosecution, then testifies for the defense, then 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 he winds up assassinated. All these things, and they just stop prosecuting it. I've never heard of a case where they would stop prosecuting a capital case, a capital murder against the police officer. Never. They never let it die. Is this the only one? That you know? Yeah, there were co- there were there were trials where the the person who was the alleged shooter got acquitted. Uh, and everybody knows that he did it. You know, the police know that he did. The evidence was there. But jurors being who they are, acquitted him. And they let it go. But they never, ever stop investigating the death of a police officer in the line of duty. Never. Except for this guy. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if there's been books written about it other than what Kathleen did. Uh, I, I, I didn't read the book. But uh, I would like to read an unbiased book that, you know, has new evidence. There you go. But there, there hasn't been any. So anyway, that's the story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> that's it. I mean, I, I, I get depressed every time I read this. You know, yeah. it's just I was I was uh, I was still on the job. Then, you yeah. know, and uh, it was just tr- tragic. Think of the think of Venditti's family, what they're going through. All right. Well, another good well, show of a recommendation of our listeners. So keep the cards and letters coming, please. And uh, we'll be back with you next week. Good night. Good night. Good night. See you next week. 
If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just you call for tuning me. in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you'd like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.